0: Morning restoration. I'm outside just celebrating the fact that it's beautiful out. Uh, Last Sunday, we got to be together for Easter outside at the amphitheater. So many of you could make it. It was so great to have you. We are in this journey through the book of Mark. And I want to encourage you if you are not in a house church, this is a great time as we head into summer, spring, and summer to be a part of a community. I encouraged everybody to take a dive last week. If you're not in a house church, reach out to us. Um, You can fill out a house church uh, contact form and we will pair you up with a house church. So if you're not in one, we want you to be in one. It's gonna be a great journey this summer together. Um, But we are in the book of Mark and we left off the book of Mark in chapter five where Jesus heads across the lake to the other side of the lake where it's not very Jewish, it's not very safe. He heals the demon-possessed man. This was Gabe Hernandez's teaching on Palm Sunday. Today, they are back across the lake. Let me pray as we get started. God, thank you for gathering us in, in small clusters right now as we... Um, as we lean into the book of Mark and the teachings of Jesus and who Jesus is, would you open our hearts, open our minds, and uh, God challenge us this morning with this teaching? We pray these things in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. Okay, before we get to Mark chapter 5, we're going to Leviticus 15. So nothing says fun like Leviticus. All right, here it goes. Verse 19, Leviticus 15. When a woman has her regular flow of blood, the impurity of her monthly period will last seven days, and anyone who touches her will be unclean till evening. Um, happy Sunday. I really don't want to read the rest of this, but I'm gonna. Verse 20. Anything she lies on during her period will be unclean. And anything she sits on will be unclean. Anyone who touches her bed will be unclean. Sorry, I've got visitors. Uh, Anyone who touches anything she sits on will be unclean. They must wash their clothes and bathe with water They will be unclean till evening, whether it is the bed or anything else she was sitting on. When anyone touches it, they will be unclean till evening. Uh, If a man has sexual relations with her and her monthly flow touches him, he will be unclean for seven days. Any bed he lies on will be unclean. It's good stuff. Uh, when a woman has a discharge of blood for many days at a time other than her monthly period or a discharge that continues beyond her period, she will be unclean as long as she has the discharge just in the days of her period. Uh, this is the worst. Uh, verse 31. This is. We're just going to skip a few. You must keep the Israelites separate from things that make them unclean so they will not die in their uncleanness for defiling my dwelling place. Place which is among them. So keep in mind, we are reading a three millennia old uh, text that is written to a nomadic group of people living in the desert of Saudi Arabia before the word hygiene is even invented, and these are commands for how to stay clean. Now, in our culture, we don't have we don't have a parallel in 2021 for unclean and clean. We just we just really don't. But you need to understand something. This was about more than hygiene. This was about um, whether you're allowed to be in the camp or not, and or allowed or you're allowed to be touched or not. And so, to be unclean meant You weren't able to go to the market. You weren't able to go to the village. Uh, Throughout the village, you weren't actually able to be touched or associated with. And it's kind of like, I guess the only real parallel would be the Dalit people of India. Now, for those of you who don't really know, the Dalits are people who are discarded in India. There's a caste system. And in this caste system, Um, You know, here's the thing. Everybody in in Denver, you hear the word karma and reincarnation a lot. Um, Karma and reincarnation is actually a brutal, violent, horrific belief. It basically says that if you're born with a deformity, if you're born with any imperfection, that you are being punished in this life for what you did in a past life. And so if you're being punished in this life for something you did in the past life, no one's supposed to actually help you in your punishment. And so the real-life version of actual karma and reincarnation is brutal. It's it's retribution. It's You're dumped and left to die. You're untouchable. And so in the same way, a woman who is uh, bleeding in this culture, would be cut off temporarily from their village, from their people, and it would keep you away from worshiping God at the temple. Let's fast forward a bit. There's another setup passage for this, for Mark 5, in Numbers 15. It says, the Lord said to Moses, speak to the Israelites and say to them throughout the generations to come, you are to make tassels on the corners of your garments with a blue cord on each tassel, okay? You will have these tassels to look at, and so you will remember all the commands of the Lord, that you may obey them and not prostitute yourselves by chasing after the lusts of your own hearts and eyes. Then you will remember to obey all my commands and will be consecrated to your God. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord your God. See, the idea behind this is you would make a uh god wanted the people of israel to make a prayer shawl which is called a kanath and each tassel hanging off the kanath was there were 613 tassels one for each of the commands one for each of the laws and so you would wear this tassel if you were a rabbi you would wear this tassel and it would represent the Torah, and would remind you to keep praying. And and the four corners of the of the garment really it comes up all over Scripture. Check this out in Malachi four. It says, "Surely the day is coming. It will burn like a furnace. All the arrogant and every evildoer will will be stubble, and the day that is coming will set them on fire." Says the Lord Almighty. Not a root or a branch will be left to them. But for you who, is, who revere my name, the Son of Righteousness, that's an idea for the Messiah, will rise with healing in its rays, and you will go out and frolic like well-fed calves. So the, uh, the same Hebrew word for rays, healing in its rays, is uh, the same word used for tassels. And so legend has it with rabbinic writings from before Jesus, that when Messiah would come, there would be special healing powers in his prayer shawl, in his kanaf. And if you could just get close enough to the Messiah's kanaf to touch one of the tassels, you would be healed. Okay. Okay. So that is all some Old Testament setup up for where we're going today in Mark chapter 5. When Jesus, it says in verse 21, had crossed over by boat to the other side. So it's saying he's coming back to the Jewish side of the lake. Uh, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him. My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. Okay, so Jairus is a synagogue leader. Now, uh, he's meaning he's he's well educated. He's affluent. He's well respected in the community on the Jewish side of the lake. Um, Now, remember, Jesus has a rocky relationship with the synagogues he's been kicked out of many of the synagogues and and he's he he doesn't have the best relationship with the jewish leaders as we know so Iris would have been wise to keep a safe distance from jesus and stay kind of neutral but his desperation kind of hurdles him towards jesus Okay, and the word dying here is actually a Greek word that means at death's door, which is to say that she didn't have she had moments left to live this little girl. And then Jesus goes with him. So in verse 24, it says, so Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. So according to Levitical law, out of Leviticus 15, she is a Jewish woman. She is on the Jewish side of the lake, and she is unclean. And she has been so for 12 years. She's not just physically unclean. She is socially and religiously unclean. And she's part of this crowd. She is most likely not married, and not she doesn't have children. And she can be nowhere near the temple. It's just a fascinating um, backstory here. It says that in verse twenty-six, she had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors, and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. Um, the word suffered is uh, the Greek word mastics, which actually means to be tortured. She had been tortured under the care of many doctors, spent all she had. So she has spent all of her money to get well, and she hasn't gotten well. And in fact, many of the cures that were th- hurdled at her, that were thrown at her, actually probably made her suffer even more. We actually have, this is the craziest thing, some, uh, there's a Babylonian Talmud, a a teaching um, scroll that talks about how to help a woman who's been bleeding for this long. And there's these weird, uh, creepy, um, uh, like, uh, tricks, as you will, or, or, or cures that were tried on women one i'm going to name three these are horrific ladies um dang it i mean for millennia you guys have been just got the raw end of the deal um one of the cures was to boil onions um and drink it and someone would yell at you if you were the woman after you drank the onions cease your discharge which i don't know it's like a abracadabra thing or something another one was she uh, the woman is supposed to stand at the crossroads of two major intersections in the village with a glass of wine and while drinking it someone would scare her come out of nowhere and yell cease your discharge which is like (laughs) i would love to reenact sometime and then the last one was uh you were to eat the dung of a white mule Which is, I mean, come on. Talk about suffering from not only the the disease, but the cures. And it says in verse 27, when she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. What did she touch? If Jesus was a good rabbi, what did she touch? She touched his kanaf. She touched the, the tassels on the edge of his prayer shawl. And because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Like, she's Jewish. She knows the scriptures. She even knows the legends, right, behind Malachi. And this is her way of saying, this is her way of expressing that she believes Jesus is Messiah. It's incredible. And so immediately her bleeding stopped, it says, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering, so right then and there she's healed, she's set free right at that moment, and at once it says in verse thirty, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him, um, and the word power here is the Greek word dunamos, which is where we get the word dynamite. It's explosive power, and and understand that in Mark four and five, it's all about the power of Jesus like it's all about this power that Jesus has and he's revealing to his followers. It starts um, on the boat uh, where he calms the storm. Uh, He's got power over creation. And then it goes to the other side of the lake and it's the the demoniac, um, the guy who's being, he's suffering under the oppression of the, the demon, the evil spirit. And then now it's We're going to see it's a story about Jesus having power over death itself, which is very Easter-y, if you missed last week. He turned around to the crowd and said, Who touched my clothes? Which is such a fascinating conversation because here he is. Uh, Jesus is so, in a sense, divine with power, and he's, he's healing, and he's calming storms, and he's casting out demons, and yet he doesn't know who touched him. So it's, it's like this wild, powerful, d- divine and human interaction right here, here that we're, we're we're seeing. And in verse 31, it says, you see the people crowded around against you, his disciples answered. And yet you can't ask who touched me. Uh, it's just a kind of <coughs> crazy, crazy statement. But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Like Jesus wants to know. He's scanning the crowd. He's not content with the fact that he just healed somebody. He wants to know them. Like he wants to have a relationship with them. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. Um, Listen, this had to take major courage. She had to have been scared to death for 12 years. She has avoided people. She's avoided the market. No business being there. Um, The village, let alone near a Jewish rabbi, in fact, there was rabbinic writings that said, you cannot follow a woman who was unclean because the air would just blow uncleanliness towards you. So she thinks she's probably about to get rebuked by this traveling rabbi. And he says to her daughter, which is this beautiful term of endearment, your faith has healed you. Not my, not my Kanaf. Your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. I love how he says peace because we know what the word peace is in Hebrew. It's this word, Meaning shalom it's shalom it means much more than the absence of conflict it actually means like this this deep sense of well-being this harmony with others and yourself and creation this is this beautiful picture of what shalom is and um and here's the thing as moving as this story is remember there's this guy named jairus who's trying to get jesus to his daughter And he is probably out in front of the crowd pushing people out of the way to get Jesus to his daughter. And he's probably like, let's go. And in verse 35, it says, while Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? It's too late, she's gone. Let, let the teacher go do his thing. It's over. Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, don't be afraid, just believe. As if to say, hey, Jairus, you saw what just happened here. Have faith. Have pistis, this is the Greek word. Have some faith. Look what you just saw. <clears throat> verse 37 he did not let anyone follow him except peter james and john the brother of james when they came to the home of the synagogue leader jesus saw commotion with people crying and wailing loudly he went in and said to them why all this commotion and wailing so first century culture you need to understand especially in palestine there were places where you would bury um, a child before the age of 13 you would bury the child by sundown Uh, there was a tradition about sundown and and the burial of a child and so um and you also need to understand as the culture would have it many people would especially wealthy people would hire paid mourners to come and wail and and create commotion for their funeral and so some scholars believe that um the funeral in a sense had already begun when Jesus arrives with Jairus and the disciples. Um, Jesus says the child is not dead, but asleep, but they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him, and they went in where the child was. So Jesus has witnesses um, to see what he's about to do. Not everybody, but enough to, so he doesn't get accused of necromancy which is um, communicating with the dead which is a very spiritist thing um, he took her by the hand and said to her talitha kum which means little girl i say to you get up and this is aramaic jesus's go-to language um and it's not like abracadabra or um i mean abracadabra abracadabra um it's this gentle way of saying little girl it's time for resurrection. Immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give give her something to eat. I love how Jesus is like, hey, girl's hungry, all right? She just died, so feed her, you know what I mean? But here's what's interesting about the parallels between the two stories. They're both women, okay? They are both uh, unclean, one because of bleeding, the other because she was a corpse, right? Um, they're both uh, called daughter by Jesus, right? They're, they're both affectionately called daughter by Jesus. They're both touched and made clean, and one has 12 years of sickness and the other one was 12 years old, which I find to be a fascinating parable, uh, par- parallel. All that to say, here's what Mark is trying to get at in this passage in the gospel. Really? He's saying that this is what it looks like when the kingdom of God comes near. This is what it's supposed to be like. They're supposed to be, uh, the untouchables are touched the unclean are made clean. Um, and here you've got a wealthy man and a very poor, ostracized woman, both out of desperation coming to Jesus in faith. And the whole mode of this beginning part of Mark is that the kingdom of God is near. The kingdom of God is near, not in time, but in space. Like, the kingdom of God is close, The kingdom of God is where God makes everything right. And so there's four things I want to share with you as we wrap this up and you talk in your house, church. The first one is this passage says a lot about God. It says a lot about God. Um, This is God is Jesus like, meaning he's not God is not aloof or some cold force. Um, God is is actually scanning the crowd looking for the face right God is intent on a relationship with us that God is wanting to heal us God is wanting to bring us close and for many of us we come to God like the woman comes to Jesus we just want a touch like we just want a bit of power a bit of healing and then to kind of blend back in and go about our way And I think in many ways, this is a lot how I approach God as well. Just get a little power, you know, uh, maybe hit Easter, maybe hit a worship song or a worship concert. um, Get a little bit of direction, get a little bit of comfort or a little bit of encouragement. And then we slip away unnoticed. And I don't I just don't think that's enough for God. I think Jesus wants a relationship with us that is that is is about all of life and he wants us to be known by him he wants to know us and i think this is where the american following jesus lie resurfaces Um, the idea that god is like a vending machine that god is just after our he's an empathetic god who's just after how we feel and he's he's there to pick us up no god is the father of all creation and he wants us to interact with him like we're sons and daughters. Not in for a quick a quick uh, healing or a, or a quick bit of encouragement. Ultimately, it's about being with him. And the question I have for us this morning in this first kind of part is, where in your life do you need to stop acting like a consumer of God and start acting like a son or a daughter. Where in life does that need to happen? The second one is this. This passage says a lot about God's timing. You know, what's interesting is this woman had been sick for 12 years. And, and then to Jairus, he's like, don't be afraid. Things are going to work out fine. And, and we see, it, for you and me, we see time as linear And it it just seems to me, the, the older I get, the more I see God move, that it's not about our timing, it's about God's timing, it's about God's rhythm. And his rhythm is really unseen for us. And it can get frustrating. And some of you are probably sitting there going, yeah, it has been 12 years. I've been praying for this for 12 years. Or my son, or my daughter, or my marriage, or my career or my whatever has already died and I'm still waiting and I'm still suffering and there may be like a a conversation that you're having with God like where were you where have you been Um, yeah where have you been hiding God because I've needed you over and over and over again and, and this kind of leads us into the third point where it says a lot about sickness and healing, this passage. This passage, uh, the, word, the word healed in Greek actually is the word sozo, which actually means saved. And 89 times in the New Testament, it actually means saved. Like salvation. It's where we get the word salvation. Two times it means physically healed. And so these, this is one of those times. And, and the idea behind this, I, I really want to get across to you and me, is that salvation is more than just um, phys, like uh, sin uh, being forgiven and us being saved. Salvation is all-encompassing. The idea of, behind salvation for God is wholeness. So like we talked about at the beginning of the year, uh, following Jesus with our whole selves. That's what Jesus is about. That's what his salvation is about. It's about the physical, the spiritual, the emotional. It's about all of that. And we, there's a sense in which you and I, if we follow Jesus, have been saved. But th- on another sense that we will be saved. Like there's more to come in our saving that it has to do with resurrection and wholeness in our bodies and 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 freedom from all of the effects of the fall and freedom from cancer and depression and um you know all of the things that we deal with in this life so on the one hand you will all be healed we will all be healed on the other hand sometimes Um, In Scripture, like these two passages, those are temporary healings. The 12-year-old girl ends up going on to die one day. And so we just need to have all that in our understanding. That the chances are um, we could be healed before resurrection. But the chances are (laughs) that we're all going to die. I mean, it's a 100% chance. The reality is, is that resurrection means that ultimate healing will come for all of us who follow Jesus, all of us that trust in Jesus. And it's this deep sense of future shalom coming that should draw us closer to Jesus, closer to the hope of resurrection. And the final thing is this, and this is point four. This passage says a lot about faith and expectancy, um, the idea here is that you and I have been saved, that you and I have been initially saved, but will be saved further. There's this idea of aching for salvation, the aching for the future salvation that is to come. And Iris, he put his reputation aside. This woman who had been bleeding for 12 years just reached out with just all the faith she could muster and touched the corner of Jesus's robe. It's because the both of them were desperate. And here's the thing. Here's just the hard reality for many of us who have grown up in the United States of America where we've had everything at our fingertips. You and I are culturally conditioned to not be desperate before God. We're just culturally conditioned to not be desperate before God. We have been conditioned to trust in medication and to trust in insurance and to lean on our finances and our capability. We don't know what it's like to be desperate. And so it's almost like a practice of desperation that we need to lean into. And what's interesting is this passage, and you can talk about this more in your house, church, what would it look like To live with this kind of faith Desperation and expectancy What would this look like And to be honest with you Many of us don't really want to live With that kind of desperation Because it's uncomfortable Because it's vulnerable Because it's It's not success driven Or goal oriented Or any of those things It is hard And I believe here's what I believe I believe that God is wanting us to reach out in desperation and faith, and that he actually rewards us for that now i'm not I'm not going to play like some sort of a um, you know a kind of a gospel that says, if you do this, then God will do this, but I really do believe that when we put ourselves out there and risk and in desperation and expectancy that God shows up. And it may not be in His timing. It may not be in your timing. It may be in His timing. But the point is, is that you and I can learn to link arms together and trust. And actually trust. So this morning what I want to do is I just want to pray for us. And as you head into your uh, time of sharing uh, as a house church, so pray with me. God, this morning we are Uh, Letting the full force of this passage hit us, the desperate prayer, the desperate uh, intervention of Jairus and this woman into the life of Jesus to, to, to do something, to show power, to heal. And God, this morning, we just recognize that many of us, many of us don't know if we want to do that. We want to try other angles. We want to try other things. But God, you are after not only our salvation, our healing, but you're after you're after seeing our face of having a relationship with us. So God, I just want to spend some time in silence this morning. As this message, as this teaching, as this scripture rattles around inside of us. Father, I pray for courage, for Our house churches to be vulnerable and authentic in what they share today. Fears and hopes and hurts and needs may be brought before you. And even some of our own repentance that we've relied on other means that we've just come to to you for a little bit of power, a little bit of encouragement, a little bit of comfort, but you want to have a relationship with us. So God, we trust this time. We pray that you would work. In the name of your son, Jesus, amen.